Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks for joining me. Appreciate it as always. Whether this is the first one you've ever listened to or you've listened to every interview, appreciate you being here. This is a real treat. You know, I'm I'm filming this or recording this uh, a week before the Olympics starts, but this is going to come out right in the heart of this first week of the Olympics. Couldn't think of a better time to release my interview with an Olympian, a, a U.S. bobsledder. Now, we're going to talk a lot about his experience in the Olympics. He was in um, the 2018 Winter Olympics that took place in South Korea. Um, we're going to talk about exactly what bobsled is, because I don't think it's a sport that a ton of people know a lot about. So the difference between bobsled and skeleton and luge that all look relatively similar. They're all going down an, an icy track in uh, in some kind of uh, sled, if you will. I don't know whether they're all called sleds. I know in bobsled it is called a sled. So the, the all, they're all a little bit different, and, and we're going to talk a lot about the differences. Obviously, we're going to talk a lot about bobsled, given that is what he competed in. I think it's going to surprise you how long he had been competing in bobsled before uh, going to the Olympics. It's not it's not what you think, I don't believe. You know, there's there's certainly some sports that you, people train their entire lives from from the time they can walk until they get to the Olympics for it. Bobsled's a little bit different. We're going to, to cover a lot about that. He was a track and, and field athlete before he got into bobsled. We're going to talk about the experience of just representing your country, whether you're listening to this uh, from the United States or whether you're listening to it from, from anywhere else, just the you know the 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 thrill I feel like you would you would have to know that you are going and you're representing your country regardless what country you know you're you're listening from I, I think you could you could understand just how meaningful that would be so I, I asked about that I asked about the actual experience of being at the Olympics being in the Olympic Village all that kind of stuff so I hope uh, you know if you're listening to this when it's posted, you're probably knee deep in Olympics right now. Um, this is this is during the first week. There there was talk at one point of maybe it wasn't actually going to happen. Well, as I'm sitting right now, the you know the the Japan commissioners of the Olympics, the Summer Olympics here uh, that was canceled, of course, last year with COVID. They said, hey, we still may uh, we may not have it. So I believe that it will actually still happen. Um, I'm sure that, that you're listening to this and it's happening. Hopefully, fingers crossed. But uh, it was just a, it was an absolute pleasure, absolute thrill to to speak with Evan. Um, I, I think that you're really going to enjoy this. You know, we don't get a lot of opportunities to pick the brain of an Olympian. Um, so I, I hope that you listen to this and, and you learn a lot. Um, I certainly did. So without further ado, here is my interview with Evan Weinstock. I am here today with Evan Weinstock. Evan, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. So I, I guess the, the first question I always ask people is kind of just go all the way back to the beginning and uh, growing up. I guess with, with you, the, the big question would be, 
was bobsled and things like that something always in your you know in your pipeline because i know you if i as i look correctly you grew up in in las vegas which i don't feel like it's a huge winter city so yeah definitely i mean i um grew up in the desert so far from any winter sports um bobsled was not something that i had grown up uh really paying attention to it wasn't until um i got exposed to it through a college teammate who uh got an invite that i i really put that on my radar but early on i guess my childhood grew up in vegas i was a dual sport athlete in high school did uh football in the fall and then i did track and field in the springtime um and during track and field i actually had a coach who uh introduced me to a a unique event called the the decathlon which is um, not contested in most states it wasn't contested in nevada Um, i actually had to go out of state to start doing some competitions Um, the decathlon is basically a a all-encompassing track and field event uh, where they do 10 different uh, track and field events so it's um, sprinting jumping throwing Uh, it's a two-day competition so um, i did that uh, a couple times uh, while I was in high school. Um, and then I started looking uh, to going uh, to different colleges to either play football or track. And I, I wasn't really decided on, on which one I would uh, focus on in college. Um, and then I actually had an opportunity with Brown to uh, pursue both of them. So um, the Ivy League doesn't really have athletic scholarships. So they were able to uh, leave it open-ended as far as what sports I want to participate in. And I thought that was a good opportunity to potentially do both football and track. And I unfortunately had a, a shoulder injury going into my freshman year. So I decided to take the fall season off, uh, which was football, um, only focused on track and field in my first year of college and really never went back to football, just kind of stuck with track and field because I, I started having a lot of success and, um, Plus the Ivy League academic uh, rigors was was a lot for me. So, yeah, and that took me all through four years of college. Um, decided I didn't want to stop being an athlete, so I kept training. Um, took uh, went out to uh, Stanford in Palo Alto, California, and I had an old track and field coach who was uh, coaching over there. And uh, decided to keep training post collegiately, see if I can make it to the Olympic trials in track and field. Uh, did a year post-collegiately and had a pretty good season. Ended up making a really small Team USA team for the decathlon uh, up in up in Canada. And right after that competition uh, was when I revisited bobsled and uh, they host these combines throughout the um, country. And I knew it was something that I'd be pretty good at, at least doing the combine. It was pretty much all track and field testing. Uh, so I thought worst case scenario, it was, you know, just a really cool opportunity to keep testing different track and f- field uh, fitness levels and um, ended up having the top score in the country for the bobsled combine. And um, yeah, it was good rest of kind of uh, history from there. Right, yeah. right. So is that, is that a, a, a common thing with bobsled that people come from a lot of different areas and, and then, you know, get involved with it. Cause obviously, you know, with some Olympic sports, we hear people, you know, their whole life they've trained for that one event, you know, since they were growing up, obviously that's not the case with, with you with this. Is that normal with bobsled? Yeah, I think it's one of the, 
you know, one of the only events I can think of where people actually come into it much later on in life. Um, most of the athletes on the bobsled team were uh, former collegiate athletes in other sports. Um, people, you know, as old as in their thirties are trying out for the sport. It's uh, really, I think it's, it's because it's a very raw athletic um, event where you can have these different backgrounds. And as long as you maintain a general level of athleticism, um, you know, they're kind of transferable into what bobsled was. So football and track and field are probably the most common ones. And so I was, I was no different in that I came from a track and field background and just ended up uh, picking up the sport pretty quickly. So. so for people who don't know anything about bobsled or, or sports really in general, tell us just a little bit about what bobsledding is. Yeah, I would expect most people, especially in the U.S., don't understand what uh, bobsledding is. It's uh, a winter sport that um, basically is a, a mile-long ice track that uh, we're sliding down. And uh, there's uh, for men, there's two disciplines, the two-man bobsled and the four-man bobsled. Um, I participate in both. But the general idea is that there's one – uh, pilot who steers the sled and then uh, there's push athletes or, or we call them brakemen who are powering the sled off the line and hop in and steer and and the pilot he pushes the sled as well he's just the first one inside of the sled and he's it's his job to kind of navigate the uh, the sled down the, the down the mountain so it's a sport that there's a lot of different like um, it's small intricacies that really make it uh, an interesting sport. I think it's, you know, from surface level, it's, it's, it's just a, a really quick fun race, but I think there's a lot of technology involved in the sleds. Uh, there's a lot of prep work and the, the driving itself uh, to put it in perspective uh, at the Olympics in 2018, there was um, there's four different runs for the competition, which means there's uh, four trips down the mountain. Uh, it, it's roughly a mile long track and, uh, we make it down the track and say roughly 50, 49 seconds. And uh, it's a sport that's measured into the 10th uh, or to the, to the hundredth of a second. So after four miles of competition, um, the, there is a dead tie for a, the gold medal um, down to the hundredth of a second. So a lot of different things uh, go in a lot of different factors that uh, make or break a, a good run and, um, it's kind of our job as, as brakemen and as a crew to, to eliminate and try to make it down as quick as possible. Yeah. So how, you, how does, how do they, how do I guess, how do you do that exactly? I know you said, um, what was it? The pilot, what yeah. was the, the pilot and then the brakeman? how, how does, you know, the, the brakeman in the, the sled, is that, is it a sled? Yep. So how, yep. how does the, the brakeman actually, while it's moving, what are they doing? Are they shifting their body weight around or what's happening? There? Yes. Um, no. So I, I think that's, you know, it's kind of a misconception that, you know, we're actually leaning in the sled. Um, we're more so once we get into the sled, there's not a lot there. A lot of it's the prep work or it's the push for us, but mm. we're trying to stay relaxed and we're trying to stay uh, flow with the sled. Uh, we're trying to hold our bodies in positions uh, where we're out of the airstream because it's, you know we want to be any sort of if our shoulders are sticking up, it's causing dra like air resistance, which is going to slow us down. Uh, if we are shifting our body in the sled, 
that could potentially cause it to go into a skid, which is going to cause friction, which is going to slow you down. Um, and it, it's not a very big sled. And typically bobsledders are very big, big athletes. They're big and strong. So you have four guys getting crammed into a sled. It's not the most comfortable when you have to do the best way you can to get in position, hold that position all throughout the track and follow along with where the sled's going. So um, we study the track. We need to understand where we are, uh, whether it's curve one, curve 14, or what's going on so that we know that, um, you know, how to hold our bodies in a position. And then also uh, when the finish line comes out, when to, when to pull the brakes, if you're the, the very last guy in the sled. So you're talking about the tracks. I, I tried to do some of my research and I know that the oldest track in the world is in Switzerland, Cresta run. Have you ever, have you ever competed there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Switzerland's the birthplace of bobsled. Um, they actually have a beautiful track that's uh, all natural, which means it's, it's handmade every year. Uh, every other track around the world is a refrigerated concrete track that stays the same. Um, but in Switzerland, it's kind of tradition for um, the town to come in and, and build uh, the track every year once it gets mm -hmm. cold enough in the winter. So um, it's, it's a beautiful track. It's uh, in St. Moritz, which is a very ritzy ski town. A lot of people go there. There's snow polo very like expensive shopping um and it's it's actually a track that goes from saint moritz uh, down through the forest and it ends up in another town in, in Stellarina. so um a really fun track to be a really exciting atmosphere because uh, the whole town comes together and celebrates uh, the sport um so definitely fortunate to get on that track <laughs> no that that's really cool so again, for the, the average fan that, that sees these sports, maybe, you know, every four years when the Olympics come around, what's the difference between bobsledding, luge and, and skeleton? So there's big differences um, between luge, bobsled and skeleton. I think that uh, so bobsled and skeleton are under the same federation. So meaning we um, have the same kind of uh, board of directors, same funding, we kind of travel on the same schedule uh luge is going to be separate um and i think it's probably because the type of athletes that do skeleton and bobsled are very similar uh skeleton is where you run and you, you hop on a sled and you're going head first down so there's a running component which means uh, a lot of athletes have former backgrounds and they transition and try the sport just as similar as bobsled athletes do uh where luge is um they're sitting on the sled and then they pull themselves to start. So it's, it's really a technical, um, they, they're steering the entire time. Uh, it's one of those sports that you typically think of where, you know, you're growing up as a child doing the sport and it takes years and years of practice to, to become good at it. So um, I, you know, staying at the Olympic training center, we used to have luge athletes, you know, little kids that were basically staying with us, as full-time athletes that were just developing themselves to become, uh, you know, the next Olympians where skeleton and bobsled athletes are usually older and they come from other backgrounds. So uh, I'd say that's the, the, the biggest difference between them. Luge is obviously feet first, um, skeleton's head first, and then bobsled's in a, in a big sled. So those on the surface level, that's, that's kind of the main difference. So which one do you think is, you know, obviously with, with, you know, just, dynamics and being heavier obviously i feel like you may be going faster but i don't know which one are you going faster 
and which one maybe is the causes the most danger which one's the most dangerous yes um so luge is i think typically thought of as the most dangerous i think you're um, not as protected obviously as bobsled i think bobsled has plenty of crashes as well um skeleton you're really you're you're literally um, inches off the ice so if you do crash it's not as bad of a crash uh luge they're a little bit higher up so when they do crash it's pretty nasty and they don't have any protection um i think that you know famously there was unfortunately the luge athlete that died in 2010 um in uh, vancouver and he was training so all three of them are you know fairly dangerous at times uh, especially once you crash it's not ideal but um it is what it is i think uh luge and bobsled probably go around similar speeds bobsleds uh, depending on the track can reach up to 95 98 miles per hour uh, luge can get up to those speeds and skeleton's not too far behind but a little bit slower uh, more mass you know the, the, typically the faster you go all right. All right. So how does, how does competitions go? You know, is, is there a lot of domestic competitions or do you have to really do a lot of traveling in order to, to actively compete? Yeah. So because most of the tracks, um, you know, they're artificial and beta concrete, there's only a couple of locations around the world that you can actually do the sport. Hmm. Um, I think it, within the U S there's only two tracks. It's Lake Placid, New York, and then Park City, Utah. Uh, Canada has two tracks with Calgary, Canada, and then Whistler up in Vancouver. So um, there's different circuits of racing. There's the North America's cup where basically you just do competitions around Canada and the U S um, there's the European cup, which is just doing competitions around Europe. And then there's the world cup where you kind of travel all around to all these different tracks. Um, and that's the top, top level track where uh, we're competing. So um, Germany has three different bobsled tracks. Austria has one. Switzerland has one. Uh, then they built the one in Korea for the Olympics and now the new Chinese track for the, the upcoming Olympics in 2022. So, um, and then there's a few retired tracks here and there in Japan or Italy, but uh, they're not as commonly competed on anymore. Yeah. So is this a sport, given that there's very few even tracks, um, you know, there, there's some sports that I guess there's so many people that when you get to the Olympics, a lot of times, you know, you're competing against people that maybe you've, you've never seen before, but given this is a little bit more of a tighter knit, um, sport, maybe are you in the Olympics just at a higher stage, but you're really kind of competing against some of the same people that you've competed with, you know, the rest of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's exactly that, that, um, you know, the Olympics, it's it was no you you knew everybody you were competing against and you kind of knew how you stacked up even going into it um it's the same exact people on the world cup stage uh, i think the field is a little bit larger so they allow some smaller nations to compete and uh but it's a, a really tight community everyone within the bobsled community is like um pretty good friends from all the different nations and so uh, it's a good time to just kind of travel around. You go stop to stop, week to week, different countries, and uh, we're doing the same races over and over. So um, certainly when we got to the Olympics, it was no different. You kind of knew exactly what to expect going into it. Yeah. So again, just to kind of familiarize ourselves with with bobsled, who are the, if, if we're wanting to find like the, 
the big the big names, at least in, in history, who are the Michael Jordans and the, the Peyton Mannings of bobsled? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, they certainly haven't got the same amount of fame as anybody like that. I don't know if anybody right. can think of famous bobslers beyond like maybe the Jamaican bobsled team from the Disney. Uh, well, I wasn't going to talk about cool runnings. I wasn't going to do that, but <laughs> you want to. <laughs> I, I figured that uh, it's inevitable that we're going to talk about cool runnings at some point. But I think, um, you know, within the U.S., we, we certainly had some big names as Steve Holcomb, who was a uh, three-time Olympic medalist, one uh, gold for the for the U.S. team in 2010, uh, two medals in 2014, uh, and then unfortunately he passed away going into the 2018 game. So he um, he's probably the big, most well-known bobsledder within the U.S. Uh, certainly, uh, he was the top pilot for our country for 20 years, and then mm. um, internationally, the Germany has you know a, a really dominant history in the sport. Um, two, two guys that are competing right now who won gold in uh, Korea. They've pretty much dominated uh, every race since the Olympics. And, um, you know, that's uh, Francesco Friedrich and Thorsten Margus, which is his brakeman. So um, those are some big names within the sport. I'm not expecting people to recognize them the same as Michael Phelps or, um, you know, Lindsey Vaughn or anything like that. But, well, yeah, I mean, recognition doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's just more about who's the ones that really had the, the talent. That, that's kind of what I meant. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. I think that, you know, Germany for sure has been dominating as far as winning medals goes. Uh, the U.S. used to be on that level, I think, with Steve Holcomb when he was competing. Uh, they were winning every race. They won a, a couple world championships in between. Not only did he win gold in 2010 and uh, two, two Olympic medals in 2014, but uh, a lot of races in between that. So the U S used to be a pretty dominant program. Unfortunately, they, you know, things have gone downhill a little bit and uh, they're still working their way to try to get back on the podium. Yeah. And you said that he was the pilot for 20 years. So, I mean, how, how older are these athletes when they're retiring? It sounds like they can compete for a long time. If some aren't even starting until they're 30. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it, it's, uh, everybody kind of has their own different story about when they came into the sport and, and when they left. Um, I, there's been a lot of athletes that have stayed in the program for many, many years. I think it's depending on your situation, but I, I know that there's like Canada had a, a push athlete who was 43, LaSalle Brown, who's still pushing. And he was, you know, one of the best athletes, at, um, as well. So I think as long as you can keep healthy and, and it's something that you enjoy doing, it's, it's something you can do very well, like late into your career, but um, I, a lot of different factors go into that, depending on how long you want to stay into it. So. Yeah. So tell us just a little bit about, I guess, competing in the Olympics and being, I guess, chosen to, to represent the country. What was that like? Yeah, it, it was obviously, you know, a lifelong dream of mine to, to compete in the Olympics uh, as a track and field athlete. Uh, the Olympics were always the pinnacle of, athletics and so that was something that i always strived for i you know didn't necessarily think it was a, a reality or you know it was realistic for me to to get to that level um but when i was introduced to the sport of bobsled and and quickly saw how how i was able to uh advance in the sport and and be really competitive with not just the american program but with international programs um that reality started uh, to, to come about and I know going into Olympic gear, 
uh, I had put myself in a really good position on the team to be one of the top athletes. And uh, I knew that as long as I could stay healthy and, and stay on the path that I was progressing on, that I would be at the Olympics. And so um, that expectation was kind of, you know, lying around for the, you know, the last uh, year or two leading up. And then uh, when the team was officially announced just a month before the games, I would, it was certainly a relief. Um, I, I don't want to necessarily like say it was, it was expected, but um, I was certainly hoping to be there and getting to the Olympics itself was a pretty surreal experience. Uh, I was fortunate to be teamed up with uh, previous Olympians. And so uh, I took a lot of advice from them about what to expect, how to go in there and, and how to manage kind of the attention. I think that was the biggest thing was all of a sudden, you know, now we have media attention. You have people who you've never talked to for years now reaching out because, you know, all of a sudden you're one of a team USA Olympian who's uh, really everybody wants to talk to and, and find out about what's going on. But it, it's a sport that I've been doing for the last three years. So uh, the media attention was certainly, um, a big shock and something that was uh, had to be managed uh, as I, you know, still had a goal of going out there and competing, but uh, I think I handled it pretty well. I, I really enjoyed the experience. I think that it was, uh, uh, I tried to take in as much as I can, even with competitions going on uh, throughout it. I tried to get to other events, you know, see Sean White win gold and some other cool things like that. So. Yeah. It, you, you may have been in the, last Olympics that's just completely like we, we were used to back in the day. Who knows Who knows what the Olympics are going to look like in the future? This next one's already going to be a, an interesting one from, from what I hear. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, you know, unfortunately what's going on with, with the world lately, and, uh, you know, especially with uh, sports and athletics, it's, uh, you know, p- perhaps may never kind of be the same just with uh, getting spectators and fans, but um I know they'll do everything they can to to keep that uh, keep that spirit and the the experience going for not only the athletes but the fans. And um, looking forward to kind of seeing how it progresses in the next year or two. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to hear. Obviously, there was a lifelong dream. I think it's kind of interesting to hear that probably as a even as a high school senior, you know, when you were dreaming of going to the Olympics, it probably you probably would have never thought it was going to be for bobsled. I guess. Yeah, no, it, it was certainly uh, not on my radar, especially in, in high school and in Las Vegas. But uh, it was uh, a really unique opportunity that uh, I felt really fortunate for. And it was really exciting. Uh, I think I was Las Vegas's first ever Winter Olympian. So that was a, a pretty cool uh, experience to come back to, especially now that they have a professional hockey team. Uh, yeah. I think it was uh, really cool for people to see. And uh, I think it was uh, kind of opened them up to a, a whole different world of winter sports in, in the local area. For sure. For sure. So what's something maybe about the Olympics? This is always a hard question for people to answer, but what's something about being involved in the Olympics that may surprise, surprise people? Yeah, I, I guess it's, it, it, it goes by extremely fast. Um, you know, I, we were out there about a month, but the whole Olympics itself was only about two weeks. Um, I, I think it, one thing that I was slightly disappointed on, you know, I had all these friends and family come visit me and I just really didn't have the time or really logistically, I couldn't link up with them just because we're kind of uh, on lockdown uh, in the Olympic village. 
So I, I wish I would have had an opportunity to really take in like what was going on because it really is like the biggest world event uh, at the time. And there's so much going on as far as uh, entertainment or uh, things like that. And really I was just kind of isolated in a bubble and uh, carrying on, like, as you pointed out, it was the same kind of competitions as I was doing prior uh, just with a little bit more attention. So it was a really fun experience, especially for my family and friends to enjoy. And um, I certainly kind of wish I could have relived it from another perspective as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess one thing to, to ask about it and you will change your, the, the slogan you're used to there in Las Vegas, but I mean, is the Olympic village is, I guess, as crazy as people say, or is what happens in the village stays in the village? <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that maybe that was that was another surprise for me that it wasn't as crazy as I expected or, or I'd heard. Um, but maybe it was just from my perspective. I think I lived in uh, a suite with uh, eight other bobsledders and uh, I had competition. The two man was, the I think, the first or the second week of the Olympics. And then the four man was the same day as the closing ceremony. So uh, maybe it was just our group wasn't going out and partying as much or or wasn't able to take in some of those experiences. But um, I think I expected everything to be just a little bit more chaotic. I think most athletes in general that uh, I was around uh, seemed a little bit uh, focused and, and more buttoned up. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably a good thing given, you know, the, the task at hand. But, yeah, so I what I couldn't really – find is i mean you're you're on the you know the usa website but are you still involved in in the program or are you not competing anymore yeah um i think that's a tougher question than i I wish i could answer i think it's uh i after 2018 after the olympics i uh decided to take some time to develop my career outside of the sport um so i walked away from the team i moved out to san francisco i was uh, working full time, um, and s- since then have relocated to New York City. I've uh, been working here full time now. Um, still trying to figure out, you know, if there is a pathway of me returning. I haven't, you know, officially retired or closed that door. I'm I'm still pretty young. Uh, I walked away as one of the younger guys on the team, and uh, certainly at a really high level. Um, it's I found it difficult to train at the same same way I like to train, especially while working a full time job and uh, being in the real world. I think as athletes, we're just so used to kind of being in our bubble of the Olympic Training Center, and really just focused everything on training, which was, you know, eating, sleeping and and whatever we could just to, to work up uh, the next day. And now I got to manage finances, do other things and you know, navigate the real world. And I think it makes it a little bit more difficult, but uh, it's not out of the question. Uh, you know, it's something I'm still trying to consider if there's, there's time for me to, to get in shape or um, really with the state of the team. Uh, I, I stayed in really good contact and um, I have great relationships with the entire program and uh, the athletes that are still remaining. So I, I don't think it would be impossible for me to, to return, but uh We'll have to figure out a few other life uh, decisions <laughs> before yeah. I make that. Well, you, all we can say, I guess, is the best of luck on whatever you do decide. So is it, you know, you said that, it, it, you know, it was a life of training and, and kind of only thinking about that. So when you were on the team, 
um, and preparing? Was that your full-time job? Was that, was that all you were doing? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was uh, one of the difficult things is that, you know, Bob said, as I said, you know, you're pretty much with the team 24 seven. It's, uh, it's not like you can be living out in California and be training and then just flying for the competition. You need to be with the teammates uh, prepping, you know, the sleds, traveling with them. Um, and so it is a full-time job. Um, pretty much every athlete that was on the team, uh, that was their only focus. We were traveling uh, internationally three or four months out of the season. So it's, it's really hard to, to maintain, maintain like uh, something consistent back uh, in the real world. Yeah. So, I mean, you've already kind of maybe transitioned, whether you transition back or not, eventually you won't be bobsledding. Um, so what, uh, what does the future hold? What, what are your passions outside of, outside of the sport? Yeah, I think I'll forever be uh, trying to answer that question, but I think for, uh, I was fortunate to get a pretty good degree in, in college. I was a, um, a biology background. I, I was pre-med at, at the time didn't uh don't really have any interest in going back to medical school so i uh, ended up working in medical devices out in san francisco um i've been selling those with orthopedics and then um worked for a healthcare startup for a little bit out in new york um, back working for a medical device company so um staying within healthcare has kind of always been something that's interesting to me um but definitely considering other careers and other business um kind of a profession so yeah whether you whether you go back to to bobsled or not i think you forever have you know maybe the the winner when people say what's three interesting things about you to have been an (laughs) olympic bobsledder i think you may beat it just a few other people (laughs) yeah it certainly helps with dating too sometimes (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm sure i'm sure yeah i I, i can only imagine yeah. So, I mean, it's been a, a pleasure speaking with you. I do want to make sure, you know, should you have any way that, that you, you know, you want people to connect with you? I don't know whether that's the case, but if you've got any social media you want to sh- shout out there, always give people the opportunity. Yeah, sure. I'm, uh, you know, not as active as I used to be when I was an athlete, but uh, certainly my messages are always open on uh, Instagram uh, at Evan Weinstock um, is, that, is my profile. So, um, you know, happy to talk to anybody about anything, or I'm sure there's many people out there considering about, uh, maybe trying out for the team. And I would encourage you to, and, um, certainly happy to talk to people about yeah, anything. So. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks Jackson. Appreciate it. And that was my interview with Evan Weinstock. Hope you enjoyed that one. I learned a ton for sure. You know, the, the cool thing about the Olympics is, I don't think that a lot of these sports, and I could could be wrong, but at least personally, a lot of these sports, most of the time, other than every four years, I don't see a lot about them. I don't, you know, watch a, a ton of, of bobsled and luge and even figure skating or alpine skiing or, or all these things. It's kind of a, a rare treat that every four years we get to see not just these sports, but to see people from the the highest level out of all of of the countries in the world, or at least a a good deal of countries from the world, um, compete in these these kind of more um, lesser-known areas, these lesser-known sports. So I always am glued to the Olympics. 
like like I said in the beginning, you know, I'm recording this um, the week before the Olympics, so hoping that the Olympics is happening. You know, like I like I mentioned, the Japan commissioners were were kind of uh, saying they weren't sure with the with the COVID restrictions, but uh, fingers crossed that I am knee deep watching these Olympics right now because every every two years with the Summer Olympics and then the Winter Olympics. I am always glued to the TV, you know, almost almost day and night watching almost every competition. So it was a treat to talk to someone who has lived that experience, competed at the highest level, and competed in a sport that I didn't know a ton about. I always like to learn, you know, about different sports, about different professions, uh, kind of uncover a little bit about the lesser known aspects and and Evan was really uh, great for agreeing to join me. So I appreciate him. I appreciate you. Thanks for, for joining me um, this week and, and listening. Do check out Evan. Um, he, he mentioned his social media connections uh, with Evan Weinstock on Instagram. Obviously, if you haven't, follow this podcast. Subscribe to this podcast. Get on Instagram, Not In The Huff Podcast. Facebook, jacksonf.com. We're everywhere. Appreciate your support. We'll see you next week. Take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.